calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to episode 11 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 21, Diurnia System, 2358, July 18th. Mr. Voorhees, I stuck my head into the galley. A moment, if I may? I'd timed it just about right. Mr. Voorhees was just finishing his breakfast routine. Davies was still in the wardroom, and Kramer smiled at me from the griddle where she was running a cleaning stone over the surface. The place smelled faintly of soap and bacon. Not one of my favorite combinations, but it meant things were getting clean. Mr. Voorhees smiled and followed me out to the mess deck. I went to the coffee urns to get a cup. I was a bit uneasy and wanted something to do with my hands. I didn't want to mess with another division's workings, but I also wanted to give Mr. Voorhees help. I tried to think of what Mr. Maxwell would have done on the lowest if he had Mr. Voorhees instead of Cookie. "'How can I help you, sir?' he asked with a smile. "'Is the coffee getting a good response?' I asked in reply. "'It's been over a week now. I know I certainly appreciate the change.' He snorted a small laugh. <laughs> "'Yes, sir, you were right. The biggest problem now is keeping the urn full.' I smiled. Yes, I remember that problem on my old ship. It's actually a good problem to have. Yes, sir, it is, he said warmly. Now if I could just get them to return the cups. Return the cups? Yes, sir. They come down, get coffee, take the mugs, and leave them everywhere. Birthing, engineering, even in the passageways. Oh, I see, I said with a nod. In that case, I think I have another solution for you. I dangled the bait out there to see if he'd bite. He grinned and gave me one of those senior hand to junior officer looks, but only said, Well, sir, I'd love to hear it. On the lowest, the mess deck was like the ship's living room. When we were underway, it's where everybody went to get a cuppa, grab a cookie, sit, visit. You know what I mean? I asked. Oh, yes, sir, he replied with a knowing nod. Same on practically every ship I've ever been on. On the billy, seems like the crew has other things to do than sit around on the mess deck. His comment was freighted with an odd collection of baggage, but I let it go for the moment. Well, I started, drawing the word out a bit. If I were you, would you want to spend time here? I looked pointedly at the stained tables and littered deck. I know it's just after breakfast, and the morning cleanup hasn't really had a chance here yet, but pardon me for saying it. I let my voice trail off before I actually did say it. He sighed. Oh, I agree, sir. 
Some days I think that if I'd let my engine room get to the state that this mess deck gets sometimes, my old first would have snatched me bald. How can I help, John? I asked gently, deliberately using his first name to step outside that formal relationship of crew and officer. After a couple of heartbeats, I added, It occurs to me that if they're sitting here drinking coffee, that there's many fewer cups for you to collect from around the ship. He pursed his lips and eyed the room for a moment before looking back at me. How'd you get your bridge watch to clean the bridge? I can't believe it was, you know, like the stories. I almost burst out laughing. He was so earnest. I had a hard time controlling my face. At the same time, I had a hard time believing this guy had been an engineering spec one. Spec ones are the backbone of the fleet. They're what keep the ships going. They keep junior third mates from walking out airlocks and sticking their heads into fuse actors. Then again, maybe his lateral to steward division actually made a little more sense than it had at first. I just laid out what I wanted done and the three of us got it taken care of, I told him. Simple enough. His brow furrowed in thoughtful expression as he looked around the mess deck. Yes, he said slowly. Of course. He paused for a moment, and I let his train of thought pull fully into the station while I sipped my coffee. So is there something you needed from me, Sar? he asked finally, remembering that I wanted to talk to him. Yes, actually, I told him. While we're on the subject of cleaning, would you ask Miss Davies to do a good swab out of the wardroom? It's beginning to build up a little in there. I know Miss Manus and Miss DeGroote use the space between meals sometimes, but we had a discussion about it over breakfast this morning, and they'd rather be interrupted once in a while than have the place get all grubby, if you know what I mean. Is she not doing a good enough job, sir? Miss Davies, Mr. Voorhees asked. Oh, that's not the issue, I assured him. It's just... I waved my coffee cup at the mess deck by way of illustration. Every so often you have to catch up with it, you know? He frowned thoughtfully and nodded. Yeah, he said, I do know. I know when I was on the mess deck of the Lois, I told him, Cookie always had us do the major cleaning right after the evening mess. Decks to overhead, the mess deck and galley. Pip and I got so we could do it in a half a stand, and it sure made life easier in the morning. Half a stand? His eyebrows rose in surprise. That's all? I shrugged. I suspect it'll take more than a half a stand the first time here, I said, pointedly looking up at what appeared to be coffee stains on the overhead. But once you get it done, it'll be pretty easy. The old sweep and swab after breakfast and lunch, and then a full swab down after dinner. We got so fast on the lowest that we had a couple stands off in the afternoon between lunch cleanup and dinner prep. He nodded slowly, his eyes beginning to track across the mess deck, and I could see them pausing slightly here and there, cataloging things that needed doing. I see what you mean, Sar, he said finally. I really do think that would help with the stray coffee mug problem. I reinforced the idea one last time as I turned back to the urn to top off my mug again. Yes, sir, I do too, he said thoughtfully, and I'll have Penny, um, Miss Davies, give the wardroom a good cleaning today, he said. Thanks, John, I told him with a warm smile. I appreciate it, and I know Miss Manus and Mr. Groot will as well. Mission accomplished, I strolled off the mess deck as nonchalantly as I could. According to the chrono, I had two stands before I had to take over the bridge watch, and I headed for my stateroom to change into my workout clothes. I had time for good run before watch. I rounded the corner and headed down the passage past the cabin when the door opened and one of the engineering crew, Bayless, according to his ship suit, slipped out, closing it softly behind him. He started guiltily when he saw me coming, and I gave him what I hoped was a reassuring smile. He ducked his head as we passed, but neither of us said anything. 
poor guy looked really embarrassed, and I wondered what he'd done to earn the captain's wrath so early in the voyage. I snorted to myself as I started changing into my sweats, wondering how the captain even knew if he never left the cabin. The gym had a modest collection of equipment. There were two stationary bikes, two treadmills, and a rowing machine. The space wasn't big enough for a track, but there was an open area for those who practiced various of the martial arts or just wanted deck space to do a few push-ups. It even had one of those spring-driven weight machines. Free weights might have been dangerous if we lost grav and they started flying around. What it lacked, and what I missed, was the steam room from the Lois, or even a hot tub like the bad penny it had. On the other hand, considering the crew we had aboard, I wasn't sure either of those things was all that desirable. I could envision the kinds of activities that an uninhibited crew might engage in while underway, and I didn't really want to consider stumbling into that. When I got there, the place was deserted, so I started on the treadmill first thing. It really wasn't as good as a track, but it did let me move. It was one of the better units, too. I punched in a pre-programmed routine and started a slow jog to warm up. I was about half a stand into the program when I heard somebody else come in, and I looked over my shoulder to see Nart limbering up the rowing machine. She smiled and gave a little wave when she saw me look, and I nodded back. I was beginning to work up a good sweat, and the program changed to an incline, so I buckled down and gave it my attention. Only a few ticks later, I heard voices behind me and glanced over to see a ponus and a beefy engineman standing one on either side of the rowing machine. Nart was flushed, but staring straight ahead and rowing steadily. A ponus was saying something over her head to the engineman on the other side. I couldn't hear what he was saying over the sound of the equipment, just his tone. His buddy laughed nastily and Nart's jaw clenched. Sighing, I punched the reset on my treadmill and picked up my towel, scrubbing it across my face to dry the sweat from my eyes. I stepped off the machine as the tread slowed, and the two chucklewits glanced in my direction as I crossed to them. Good morning, Miss Nart, I greeted her with a smile. I looked at Eponis and then at his buddy, noting the stenciled Mosler on his chest. Gentlemen, I said, are you here for a workout? Aponis grinned in a way that I found not terribly endearing. Well, that depends on Ula here, he said with a leer. Nart shot him an angry glance, but kept rowing. Mosler nudged the rowing machine with the toe of his ship boot. How about it, sweet thing? Feel like a little workout? He asked in a tone that left no doubt what kind of workout he had in mind. Buzz off, she growled. I'm busy. She didn't look up. Not at them. Not at me. Ah, oh, come on, honey. A ponies wheedled. We can get you a lot farther than that rowing machine can. Hell yeah, Mosler added. How about around the world? And he leaned down with his hands on his knees. She didn't respond, other than to ignore them and keep rowing. Gentlemen, I said softly, I think Ms. Nard is occupied at the moment. It was a warning. I wanted to smash their smug faces in, but that would have been a dangerous thing to do. Ah, Mr. Wang, Aponis said, purposefully mispronouncing my name. We're just having a little fun. You know about having fun, I hear, he said with a knowing smirk at Mosler. You may be, Mr. Aponis, but Ms. Nard is not. I looked from him to Mosler and back. Don't you two have something else you should be doing, I asked. If not, I can find plenty for a pair of big, strong guys like you to do. They looked at me for a long moment as I wiped the sweat from my neck and face with a now slightly soggy towel. I thought, for just a heartbeat, that they were going to push it, but they backed down. A pony stepped back, and when he did, Mosler went with him. Come on, Herm, 
a pony said, and they headed for the door. Yeah, Mosler said in too loud a voice. He's probably got plans himself. You don't want to get in an officer's way now, do we? The way he said officer made it clear that it wasn't a term of respect and endearment. I let it go and focused on the trembling woman on the rowing machine. Are you okay, Miss Nart? I asked. She looked up at me with an expression that very clearly said, Are you insane? I'm sorry, I added almost immediately. Of course you're not okay. Is there anything I can do to help? Anything you need? She shook her head silently and I saw tears start to well in her eyes before she ducked her head so I couldn't see them slide down her face. All through it, she kept rowing. Do you want to press charges? I asked softly. She laughed, a single wretched, ha, without looking up. After a moment, she added bitterly, No, Mr. Huang, I think I'd prefer to live, thank you. I sighed. Very well, Miss Nart. Please let me know if I can help, I said, cursing myself for offering platitude in the face of pain. But I really had no idea what else to do. I crossed the room and positioned myself to begin the Wu Long form. Thank you, Sar, she called after me in a small voice. You're welcome, Miss Nart, I replied, and let the ship disappear for a time as I focused on my chi. Chapter 22, Diurnia System, 2358, July 18th. The afternoon watch was uneventful when I finally got there. I wanted to say something to Mr. Burnside about the incident with opponents, but in the end I didn't know what to say. In theory, he wasn't supposed to be harassing crewmates at all, let alone when ostensibly on watch. Asking Mr. Burnside to keep a shorter leash on his watch standards would be an exercise in aggravation for both of us. So in the end... I didn't say anything. It ate at me, but I just didn't know what else to do. I was really a lot more upset than I thought when I realized that Ms. Kramer had brought my lunch before I'd even gotten through the change of watch reports. Not that anything outstanding had happened, but I just kept reading the same thing over and over. Thank you, Ms. Kramer, I told her when I realized she was standing at my elbow. Where would you like me to put this, Sar? she asked. I started to point to the side of the desk when I realized that it was covered with some kind of spill. It looked like about a half a cup of coffee had almost dried. Frowning, I realized the entire desk had something or other smeared on it and all the available surfaces. The fact that I'd been sitting there for almost half a stand and hadn't noticed underscored just how upset I was. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Kramer, I said, totally disconcerted by the situation, but not wanting her to put the tray down in the mess. I pointed to the systems console and said, Over there, if you would, please, I'll need to get this mess cleaned up. Of course, sir, she said with a smile, and a pleasant wink to Miss Dang, who'd relieved Miss Jackson for lunch already. Penny, uh, Miss Davies, asked me to thank you for speaking to Mr. Voorhees, sir, she said over her shoulder. Oh, it was my pleasure, I told her as I rummaged in the broom locker for some of the cleaning supplies we kept there. She smiled again, watching me spray off the desk and wipe it down and then she nodded once more to Miss Deng and retreated down the ladder. "'You have another fan, Mr. Wong?' Miss Deng teased me from the helm, a cheerful smirk plastered on her face. Distracted by Burnside's apparent willingness to make a mess on purpose, I looked up, blinking, and replaying the last few ticks on my brain. "'Oh, Miss Kramer? She's a very capable messmate,' I replied, a bit fatuously. "'Yes,' she replied.' 
She is, sir. I finished wiping down the console and stowed the cleaning gear back in the locker. Ms. Deng's tone registered then, and I found myself wondering what, exactly, she'd meant. Is there something I'm missing, Ms. Deng? I asked. Oh, I'm sure I couldn't say, sir, she replied with a smirk. I crossed to the systems console and sat down to eat. Miss Deng was watching me with that look, so I bowed to the inevitable. And you have a secret bit of knowledge that you'd like to share with me, Miss Deng? I asked, taking a sip of coffee while it was still mostly warm. She wants to join your harem, sir, she replied with an almost straight face. It was only with a great deal of control and no small amount of practice that I managed not to spray coffee across the systems console. My harem... I finally asked, when the liquid was more or less under control. Juliet and I, sir, she said with a small, amused twitch of her lips while staring straight ahead at the helm console. You two are my... I paused, not wanting to actually use the word... Harem? Some of the less well-informed believe so, sir, she replied smoothly. You know, Miss Deng, when I was at the academy, they tried their best to prepare us for what we'd be facing when we got out into the field. Yes, sir, she said. I don't think they ever had this situation in mind, I told her. Oh, no, sir, I'm sure they didn't, she said with a twinkle and a smirk. But if I may say so, sir, you're handling it very well. I sighed and ran a hand through my hair, forcing myself not to grab a handful and pull. With as much calmness as I could muster, I said, Thank you, Miss Dang. You're quite welcome, sir, she replied as if we'd been discussing the weather. I turned to my lunch and tried to sort out the horror and dread. Somewhere, people on this ship thought I had turned my watch section into a harem. On this ship, it seemed that was a very real and literal interpretation. As I worked my way through a rather bland bowl of noodle soup and a crusty roll, I remembered the morning's incident with the ponies and Mosler. The implications made me very uneasy. On the one hand... Why was it necessary for women on this ship to need protection from the males? And on the other, if they did, what harm was it for me to provide it with this fiction? The people who knew it was fiction weren't the problem. And that was the rub. The people who believed it were the people from whom the crew needed protection, and they were just stupid enough, and likely strong enough, to take exception to my getting in the way of their fun. People like Apones and Mosler... The Boys Will Be Boys Brigade, and their ringleader, David Burnside. Miss Jackson returned from her lunch and took the watch back for Miss Deng, while I was lost in the horrible realization of just how nasty this whole situation really was. With a sigh, I tossed the remains of the roll onto the tray, salvaged the last cup of coffee from the carafe, covered the remains with my napkin. Miss Deng took the tray with a smile and headed back down the ladder. Back in a flash, she said, as her head disappeared. I took my coffee and went back to the bridge console to finish checking reports. Something wrong, sir? Miss Jackson asked. I'm fairly certain there is, Miss Jackson, but it's not going to get solved on this watch. I settled into the console and she took the hint. Around 1300, Miss Dang came back up to the bridge, and the two of them busied themselves doing the wipe-down and quick-sweep we did during day watches. More and more, the only time we had any serious amount of cleaning to do was when we followed first section. I sighed as I considered the implications of that. I needed to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with Arletta. In the background, I heard Juliet and Charlotte chatting. They really were funny together. Charlotte the vamp, 
Juliet the humorist, except sometimes they forgot their roles, and Juliet vamped while Charlotte loosed a wickedly dry sense of humor. I snorted as I remembered being the butt of that humor not so very long ago, actually. It wasn't long before they'd finished the afternoon cleanup and were settling in to study. Sar, Miss Dang asked, do you think it would be out of place for us to help Penny and Karen clean up the mess deck this evening? I must have looked very blank. Sar? Yes, Miss Dang, I said, I'm trying to switch mental gears. Penny and Karen, Miss Davies and Miss Kramer, are they soliciting for help to clean the mess deck? Oh, no, Sar, Juliet said. Charlotte heard them talking about it and offered to help, but they were concerned with whether or not it would be proper to have people who weren't, you know, messmates working on the mess deck. I closed my eyes and pinched the bridge of my nose. Every time I thought I'd plumbed the depths of this benighted ship, something new and troubling came to the fore. Why would it not be proper, Miss Jackson? I asked, trying to thread the minefield. Well, you know, she said, it's not my job, really, Sar. Is this your ship, Miss Jackson? I asked. Well, no, Sar, it belongs to the company, she said. The answer was breathtaking. Literally. I couldn't breathe for a couple of ticks after she'd said it. It was so obvious. How about you, Miss Deng? Is it your ship? She wrinkled her forehead in confusion. No, sir, she said with a little shrug. Julia just told you. It's the company's ship. I smiled. It was so obvious. Julia and Charlotte exchanged glances as I just smiled. No, ladies, it would not be improper for you to help your shipmates. That's what crew does. They help each other. I told them. Like you helped Ula this morning? Charlotte asked quietly. If need be, yes, I replied evenly, but I'm thinking more like you're helping Juliet and I keep the bridge clean and sitting with us up here on watch. They looked at each other again. You two never worked on another ship? I asked. I'm on my second contract on the Billy, Juliet said a little sheepishly. Billy's my first ship, Charlotte admitted. Why did you stay, Miss Jackson? I asked. She shrugged. I'm not pretty or popular, she said. I don't get the attention that some others do. She was carefully not looking at Charlotte. I know there are problems aboard, but so far nobody's pressed me. Charlotte flushed, but she didn't say anything. I take it things are different for you, Miss Dang? I asked. I felt a bit brutal asking, but I tried to keep my voice soft. This trip's been much better, she said, not looking at me or Juliet. You had trouble, unwanted attention, before this trip, I pressed. Yes, sir, and no, I'm not going to tell you. I have to live with these people. She was quite vehement, but still didn't look me in the eye. And you'll be leaving the billy as soon as your contract is up, I said. The very first chance I get, sir, she replied. And at that, she did look at me. Unless things get a whole lot better, I'm out of here the day my contract expires. Well, we'll have to make sure you make Abel Spacer before then, won't we? I said softly. We've got plenty of time between now and testing. Sar? I'm only a spacer apprentice, she pointed out, speaking slowly for the benefit of the officer in the room. Yes, Charlotte, I know. I smiled at her, but I'm the training officer, and I know what you need to do to make Abel spacer, and it doesn't involve taking the ordinary spacer exam first. You don't have to take them in order, sir, she asked, her curiosity fighting with her disbelief. I shook my head. Nope, if you can pass it, it's yours, I said. Half a brain in a decent study regimen, an Abel spacer is pretty easy. Juliet frowned. I didn't think it was that easy, she objected. Ah, but you didn't have me to help you now, did you? I asked, with what I hoped was an endearing grin. No, sir, that's true, I didn't, she agreed. 
I shook my head again, trying to clear out the bees. Okay, then. We'll just have to do what we can do and tough out the stuff that we can't, I told him. Do you have any problems with that? They exchanged another glance and shrugged. No, sir, they said, almost in unison. Okay, back to the question that started this. Yes, it's entirely proper for you to help clean the mess deck. You use the mess deck, it's one of the common areas of the ship, and while it's attached to the galley and the messmates have some responsibility for keeping the space up to snuff, there's nothing in any rule, order, or custom that says you can't help them. Anything from stacking your dishes to running a wipe across a dirty table to picking up stuff that's been dropped on the deck. It's all good. They both nodded and shrugged a little. That makes perfect sense, sir, Juliet said, but what if some people won't help? What about them? I asked. We'll just be doing things for their benefit, sir, she said. Um, that's actually not true, I pointed out. As long as you're getting the benefit, say, from a clean place to sit and study with your friends, then why do you care what's going on with this hypothetical freeloader? Charlotte piped up with, But he's getting something for nothing. That's not fair, she added, sar, as a kind of afterthought. What's your point, Miss Deng? I asked evenly. If the incremental cost to you was nil, and you're willing to work for what you want, What's the problem with a freeloader as a byproduct? What's not fair, she said again. Not fair to whom, I asked her. Well, to the people who did the work, sir. To have somebody just come in and take advantage of the work without, I don't know, paying, she said, petering out a bit at the end. Okay, try this little brain game. What if you needed to rent a ground car to get from the terminal to some resort out at a beach? Juliet nodded, okay, so I rent a car, and whatever I pay, I pay for the use of the car, sir. So far, is this fair? I asked Charlotte. Yes, sir, she agreed. Okay, so, Miss Deng wants to go to the beach, too, and your car can carry the extra load without any problems. How do you handle that? I asked. Juliet spoke first. Well, of course she can come with me, she said. Well, I'd offer to pay for fuel or spit the cost of the ground car or something, Charlotte said. Okay. And we're still fair, I asked, if she splits the cost of the car. She has some interest in what you do with that car, Juliet. Are you going to accept her payment? Well, I don't know, she said thoughtfully. I don't know if I'd have been aware of it. Fair enough, but now that I've raised the issue, what do you think? Well, I'd probably be grateful for a contribution to the fuel fund, sir, she said at last, but I'm not sure I'd be willing to give up control of the car by accepting a shared payment for the rental. Charlotte was thinking very hard about this idea. I could see it in the intensity in her face. Okay, so you two work out a deal, whatever it is. I said, now suppose Miss Nart wants a ride, too. She just wants a ride out to the beach, not even a ride back. You're going to make her pay, too? Sir, I'm already tired of this negotiation, and we aren't getting any closer to the beach, Juliet said, as understanding began to dawn. I'd probably just tell her to get in the vehicle, and we'll drop her off. We're going that way anyway. But that's not fair if I had to pay, sir, Charlotte said. But you didn't have to pay, Juliet replied. You just offered to chip in on some gas money, and maybe Ula would too, but the point is I rented the ground car because I wanted to go to the beach. I was just going to pay the whole cost until you came along and wanted to ride, and I would have taken you just for asking, she said with a grin. Well, yes, but that wouldn't be fair, so I offered to pay something to help out, Charlotte insisted. Okay, what if I refused? Juliet followed the logic without needing my prompting. What if I said, don't be silly, get aboard, I'm going anyway? Well, that would be very generous of you, Charlotte said. Not really, I pointed out, just pragmatic. The value of her investment is not changed by your being there. For her, the point is to get to the beach. If she decides to let you chum along, what's the cost to her? 
Nothing, Juliet said, and I might actually enjoy the ride more if you came with me because I enjoy your company. So is it fair? I pressed. Juliet was smiling now, but Charlotte was still frowning, trying to process it. Finally, Charlotte said, Under those conditions, I can't really say if it's fair or not, Sar, she said with a kind of helpless expression on her face. Juliet turned to Charlotte then and said, It's not a question of fairness, that's the point. Your payment or non-payment, it just doesn't matter if I've rented the vehicle to get my butt to the beach. My willingness to let you ride with me has nothing to do with whether or not you're helping to pay. It's whether or not I want you to sit in the car with me during the trip. I waited for Charlotte to catch up with the logic. So what has this got to do with cleaning the mess deck? She finally asked. Cleaning the mess deck is the trip to the beach, Juliet said, and the question isn't who gets to use the beach, it's who do we want in the car with us? Between you and me, anybody who doesn't want to help probably isn't going to be that much help to begin with, so who cares? I finally saw Charlotte get it. Because when it's over, we'll be at the beach and we can do what we want, she said. Exactly, I told her. And just like it would be easier if everybody chipped in on the fuel for the ground car, it'll be easier to clean the mess deck with more people who'll chip in on the cleaning. Everybody will get the benefit of the clean mess deck, but the more people who help, the smaller the cost for any given person. So we should just find some more people who'd be willing to help, Charlotte said almost instantly, looking at Juliet. Well, I've got the watch, she pointed out, making an ostentatious show of examining the helm console with a grin. Well, I'll go check with Penny and Karen and find out when they're going to work on it, Charlotte said, and then we can ask around and see if anybody else wants to help. Ula will, I bet, Juliet said. First section has evening watch, so that means second will be off. I don't know about bets, but I bet Ula will. Ask him anyway, I suggested. He may surprise you. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big Sea from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Dorandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>